first person who gets saved in Europe happens to be from Turkey. You know, uh, that's the way God works. You realize the first church that we're aware of in Europe was an international church. It really was. Um, It's amazing to see how God was moving among the nations. And last week... Pastor John shared about the three people that we see specifically that came to Christ. First, Lydia, who was from Thyatira and the seller of purple and her family. Then we saw the slave girl. And, of course, that made all of her owners, when she got saved and the demons cast out of her, the, her owners got mad because their prophet was gone. And so they start crying out against Paul and Silas. And everybody joins in this God, the, the, this crowd mentality, this mob attacks them. And the magistrates, these are court-appointed people, order them to be beaten. Throws them in jail. And at midnight... We saw the original jailhouse rock. There was a group in the 1980s called Farrell and Farrell. They did a song called Jailhouse Rock in the same tune as Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock. Talking about God moving. And the jailer must have been listening because when that happened, he goes running in and he says, how can I be saved? He said, you're going to just believe in Jesus, you and your whole household. And so he takes them to his house. Paul preaches to the whole household that very night. They don't wait till morning. They go out that very night. He baptizes them at night. And Paul, or or, um, the jailer, feeds them. He nurses their wounds. He's taken care of them. And they're rejoicing because they're now walking with Jesus. And now we pick up the story of the next day. What's going to happen in the morning? In Acts chapter 16 and verse 36, or excuse me, verse 35. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. Now do they throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers... They encouraged them and departed. Heavenly Father, together we've read Your Word. We have just seen amazing, uh, read in the Bible about the, the amazing work that You were doing in Philippi. We look and we see 
the amazing work you're doing here. Show us from your word what it is we need to do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. It looks like we're not very many if you look and you think, oh, we're kind of scattered around. But if we were in the Betlen Utsa facility, we would be sitting chairs up right now out in that lobby area. We are more than 40 people. Guys, we have room to grow. We have the room. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see families come to Christ. God's given us this place. It's true. I, I, I was honest. I've been honest with everybody. I really don't like afternoon services. But you know what? God didn't say, Gary, serve me as long as you get your nap in. He says, you serve me no matter what. God, do you really want afternoon services? He said, yeah, apparently so. <laughs> We're here. And I am amazed what God's doing. And when I was getting my notes ready for the message, I forgot to print out my hard copy. So I need to use my phone this morning. I had to ask Ishvan to send me a copy of my own notes. Um, they're kind of just stuck up there. But I entitled the message, Writing Wrongs and Moving Forward. What happened to Paul and Silas was wrong. It was a wrong thing to do. And what had they done? What was their crime? They delivered a slave girl in bondage to a demon. They brought her freedom. And it was her owners that said, there goes our money. Their crime was bringing freedom to a slave girl. They were beaten. And they were imprisoned. But if you look at what happened to them, if you go back up and you look at uh, verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before ruler, the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. They hadn't done anything wrong. They hadn't broken any Roman laws. 
There was no Roman law that says you could not be a Christian. The persecution came because Christians refused to accept Caesar as a god. They refused to include him. They refused to bow down to the government. They said, no, we're going to bow to Christ and Christ alone. And that's what brought the persecution. And here was this mob that breaks out. It's like a riot that is starting. And this mob rule. The crowd. You've probably seen pictures of riots where something happens and pretty soon you see this whole mob of people going down the streets, turning over cars, setting cars on fire, beating up police. You see that happening. That's the picture of what's happening there. But they drag them in front of the court. They go to the court building right in front of the magistrates. These are the men appointed by the courts to keep law and order. And they say, beat them. They just join in. They jump into the middle of this crowd. And they're not thinking. They're not asking, what have they actually done? It involved the leaders. And the magistrates would not be a leader such as a king. These were court-appointed people that you went before for a hearing. It's like sitting in front of the judge. It's like the judge has come down off the bench. He's taken his stick and started beating them. Just go beat them up. Now you lock them up and he tells the jailer, you keep them tight, man. Don't you dare let these guys go. So he puts them in the inner prison. And I have a feeling that wasn't the nicest place. And they're put in stocks. Their feet are bound so they can't run away. But in doing that, the magistrates themselves had broken the law. Now, I was trying to do some research exactly what would their punishment be, and uh, everything I found said that depends on how bad it was. So it, it was one of those cases where the magistrates realized, they realized they themselves could possibly end up just like what they had done. They broke the law in the name of the law. And they had wronged Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas had not done anything. And the next morning, everything's calmed down. It's nice and calm, quiet. Everybody's gone home, had a good supper, probably ate breakfast. It's like, okay, oh man, go get those guys out of jail. Go tell them they can go home. And the police show up at the jail. <laughs> hey, you can let those guys go now. And the jailer, he is excited. He's like, okay. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. Come on, guys. Let's go. You're my new brothers in Christ. You can go. Let's, let's go. We, you're free. You're free. 
And Paul says, no, I was already free before you bound me. Oh, Paul. Paul says, he said to them, he's talking to the police, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Wait a second. No, we were wronged. It would be wrong again. It was another wrong. Maybe not legally wrong to just say go, but ethically. Morally, it was wrong for the magistrates just to say, ah, you can leave now. Because as a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to trial. As a Roman citizen, Silas had the right to trial. Roman citizens didn't just have the right to have their own trial. They had the right even to appeal to Caesar himself. In fact, later in the book of Acts, Paul does that very thing. That's how he ends up in Rome. He had that right. As a Roman citizen, they were supposed to be tried properly. And Paul refuses just to leave. He says, no, you tell them to come out. He is asking them. He is asserting his legal rights at that time. Now we start off chapter 16 of Acts with Timothy giving up his right to remain uncircumcised. To be circumcised so he could take the letter, go deliver the letter that says you don't need to be circumcised. Um, You know, we kind of had a laugh about that one, but he literally, he gave that up. But we see later that meant he could be at the prayer meeting where Lydia was converted if he had not taken that step. So sometimes we need to give up our rights, but Paul here is using his legal right for a purpose. He says, no, you tell them to come and they're going to give us a personal escort out of here. Now, it's easy to miss some of the significance of that. Because what would happen if they just snuck out? If they just disappeared? What's that going to say to everybody? If they just disappeared, people kind of forget The magistrates, they don't really have to deal with the situation. It's all just kind of swept under the carpet, you know. We don't see anything. He said, no, you guys broke the law. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to give us a personal escort from this place. Because what that was going to do is it was going to make the magistrates acknowledge the wrong. It's going to make the magistrates be seen publicly with these men. They're going to have to do it. They have to step in to right the wrong. And they came and they begged them, saying, please, we're so sorry. We're sorry. We didn't know you were Romans. It was wrong. It's sorry. Will you please just leave our city? I mean, they're begging them. To leave the city. 
And it's interesting when we see the magistrates come in verse 39. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. The magistrates had to come and they had to write that wrong. They had to do something. Now, they could have faced trial. What would have happened? I don't know. Only God knows what would have happened if it was under different circumstances. But they came out. And the magistrates take them out. And they are actually putting a stamp of approval on Paul and Silas at that point. And that maybe doesn't come through so much in this passage. But I think that's why Luke does stress that they came. It was the magistrates that had to do it. Because those that would have been reading it would have understood the Roman law. And they asked them, please leave our city. And Paul says, yeah, right after we go visit Lydia. (laughs) If you notice, they didn't leave right away. They didn't just get up and go. They didn't sneak out the back door. They went to the rich lady's house who had become a believer. That's where they had been staying. That was becoming the center or one of the meeting points from the church for the church from everything we can see. And they go to Lydia's house and they greet Lydia and they talk to the brothers and they encourage the brethren. Say, hey guys, you saw what happened to us. It's going to happen. But you don't give up the faith in the hard times. Paul and Silas, they moved on from where they were. They didn't say, no, we're going to wait here until they get these magistrates a trial. Everybody in town saw it. They didn't stick around so that they could prove their citizenship. They went back, they encouraged the church, and they left. That's interesting in verse uh, uh Verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, And now when they had passed through, when they departed. Now Pastor John pointed out, we start chapter 16 when the call to Troas, it says, and we left. We see Luke joined in to the team. We don't know for sure when Luke became a believer, exactly when uh, God worked in his life, but we do know when he joined the missionary team. And they went, and Luke was there. And they see. Pastor John's pointing something out. It's like, oh no, did I make a mistake? <laughs> we see where Paul and Silas moved on. But they didn't leave the work orphaned. They didn't leave the work. This was something that you see through the book of Acts. Back when the church first started, I shared how back in um, 
would have been 2002. The job I was taking with our mission board required more seminary. And so I had to go back to school. And as I was studying, the uh, uh, God just really laid it on my heart to read through the book of Acts. In fact, I would try to read other things in my quiet time. And the, it was like I couldn't. It just like every time it was back to Acts. First four days, I read the whole book in one setting, four days straight. One day I read the whole book of Acts. The next day, get the big picture. Then I read through, looking at leadership development. Then I read back through, looking at teamwork. I looked back through, seeing how, how the churches formed. Looking back through, how did the missionaries move on? Looking at the Gospel, how it spread. What are the clues that we see of how the local churches were developed? And one of the things, when it came to teamwork, to teamwork, you see through the book of Acts, the group would go into a place, they would be preaching the gospel, and Paul, you know, it clearly states he was one of the main speakers, he was one of the main preachers, but then he would leave people there to help develop that church. And he would move on, and others would move on. In this passage, it looks like it was just Paul and Silas that went. It was just the two of them. Later, we're going to see where in uh, chapter 17 where Paul has to go on alone. He's left so many people behind developing the churches. There's nobody to go with him. That's the only time we see Paul traveling alone. It's when there were so many churches started, he had to leave so many people there. But then, Timothy and Silas catch back up. Later, we'll see Luke catch back up with them. And, and you'll see that they developed the churches and they would move on. And so it was this, this teamwork where they would continually develop, start new, develop, pass along. And then they would go on to the next place. When we read in the introductions to Timothy and Titus, uh, sometimes in the greetings, we see where Paul would send people to help with the churches as the church was just developing. That everybody played a role, but not everybody played the same role every time. Back when Paul and Barnabas when they thought they were gods, you know, they wanted to sacrifice it. Barnabas was Zeus. And they thought, oh, Paul must be Hermes because he talks a lot. Apparently, Barnabas was seen by the people as the leader. Paul the spokesman. But we see Timothy as a, being mentored by Paul, but we see Timothy staying behind to develop churches. We see Silas traveling with Paul, but we see him staying behind to help develop churches. This is this, this constant changing of the personnel that was working in that early church as each one was exercising their gift. Of all the things this morning that I really wanted to stress, it is the teamwork that comes out foremost in my mind. 
Two weeks ago, I shared with you how I hate running, but I loved running in the military, the teamwork. I love working on a team. I prefer leading the team, but I like working on a team too, especially if you have a really good team. It's awesome to be part of it. God brings people together for his kingdom to work. And whether we are the ones that are going to the next place, the next mission, the next church, or if we're the ones that are staying behind to build up or to teach, or if we're the ones that God has called us to stay in this church and to serve and to take care of children and to take care of widows, whatever the role is that God's called you to do, we are part of the same work for the kingdom. One of the things we've wanted from the very first time we talked about starting this church is that it would be a church where everyone finds their place of service and we're going to be a sending church not a church that's just come and let's gather everybody in it's no let's together work together for the building of the kingdom of god and if you've ever missed that point you have not listened to pastor john or me either one because we have stressed it over and over and over. If you look in the book of Acts and you look in the Bible and you read about God and His work, it is working together. And everybody has a part to play. And some of those will be parts that are popular and some won't be. Believe me, on Sunday morning, Andrew is the most popular person in the church. We thought moving it to afternoon would be less. Uh, no. Oh, Andrew. Oh, come on. Show, can you show us that? Come here. Come here, Andrew. I want to show you. This is, this is awesome. Andrew, he doesn't just serve as our barista. <laughs> It's got the church logo. Ben's got one too. I'm not sure where Ben is. but Andrew, thank you for making us coffee. We enjoy it. We appreciate it. Andrew's found a place for him to serve and to work. And he's appreciated. Thank you, brother. I had not planned to do that. It was actually John started holding that one up because it's a good example. You may be the barista. You may be somebody bringing someone a cup of coffee. You may be the one setting cookies out on the table. You may be one that's cooking. You may be one that's serving. You may be one that's going and traveling. But we're building up the kingdom together. And that's what it's about.